Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Thanks be to God. We have spent um, the better part of, looks like us, this will be the seventh week in the series, and we've only been in John's first letter. We're going to be in John's second letter next week, John's third letter the week after that. You're like, wow, we're going through that fast. Yeah, they're not very big. Um, they're just personal letters uh, to um, believers that he knows, and it's just, it's, we're reading somebody else's mail. Sometimes it's to a group of people, sometimes it's to one person, and, and that's, it's really fun to be able to hear what John has to say to those that he calls his little children. And then uh, beginning in September, we will begin a focus on Paul's letter to the Philippians in a series called To Live is Christ. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how it encourages us and challenges us. And I pray, Father God, that you will help us to see your love for us through John's writings. And I pray, Father God, that, that that response that we might have is to realize that the life that we have in you isn't just a life that we can get when we pass away or are promoted to glory, but it's a life that we can have right now. It's eternal, it's abundant. And I pray, Father God, that no matter where we are engaging with you today, whether it's here in person or online at some other point during the week, I pray that you will help all of us to know how much you dearly love us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. All of God's kids said, amen. So, um, yes, the series is called The Disciple Jesus Loves. By way of reminder, it's something that John called himself, but it's something that all of us can call ourselves as well because of how much God loves us. And we've been working our way through John's first letter, but if, you'll, if you would notice uh, in his gospel and in his letters, uh, there is something that comes out, a theme that comes out quite a bit. One is believing and trusting in Jesus, but believing and trusting in Jesus for eternal life. And so that's where we're at this morning. But before we go there, I want to take a look at, I have a feeling, James, that this may have died on me. I thought it was, we, we tested it out. Yeah, so I'm going to have you advance that for me, and I'll, I'll let you know. Um, but uh, before we go there, I want to take a look at verses before it because of how confusing that they can be. I, I really wanted uh, Gretchen to not start with these verses because you might get hung up on 
wait, what is he talking about? I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever read this part of Scripture before and thought, yeah, I don't get it. But then you've just kind of gone on from there. And so before we dive into what Gretchen read this morning, I want to take a look at a few verses before, just kind of taking a look at the context. Because John says in 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, he says, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He didn't come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. What? The water testifies, the blood testifies. I get the Spirit testifies, I get that one. But Johnny, what in the world is going on with the blood testifying and the water testifying? If you remember, right in the beginning of this series, we talked about the fact that John is not writing his friends in a vacuum. He's writing to them because there was this odd belief that Jesus did not come in the flesh. That he was, it only appeared that he did. That he came as a phantom, kind of as a ghost. He wasn't real because in the Gnostic mindset that anything that was physical and earthly was sinful and of the devil. So there's no way Jesus could have come in the flesh. And John is trying to set the record straight. And so John makes it clear that the Jesus he speaks of is not this Gnostic phantom, but Jesus was, you know, their idea was that Jesus was so holy that he had nothing to do with this world. And that, but John says, listen, Jesus came by water and by blood. He was a part of a very real material flesh and blood earth. Um, Followers of Jesus down through history, such as St. Augustine, believe that the water and blood describes the water and blood which flowed from Jesus' side when he was stabbed with a spear on the cross. Interesting take on that. John 19.34 says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. This was an important event to John because immediately after this description in his gospel of the water and the blood, he adds, he says this, he says, he who has seen, speaking of himself, has testified and his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. Others believe the water speaks of Jesus' first birth, of being born in the waters of the womb, and blood speaks of his death. If that's the case, then John would essentially be writing that Jesus was born like every one of us, and Jesus died like every one of us. That he was completely human, not some super spiritual being who had no real contact with the material world. Most likely, John means the water of Jesus' baptism and the blood of his crucifixion. In fact, when I just started to think about what it meant for the water to testify, the spirit to testify, who was testifying at Jesus' baptism? It was God's voice. It was the spirit of God testifying at Jesus' baptism. And so when Jesus was baptized, he was not baptized in repentance like everyone else was being baptized. He wasn't being baptized because of his own sin. He was identifying with humanity. And when he came by water, it was his way of saying, I am one of you. 
When Jesus died on the cross, he laid down his life to identify with sinful humanity and to save us from our sins. And when he came by blood, it was so that he could stand in our place as a guilty sinner and to take the punishment that our sin deserved. And this explanation connects best with what Jesus said, oddly enough, recorded in John's gospel, John chapter 3, verse 5, where he says, Surely, surely, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That being born of water in this passage speaks of the cleansing waters of baptism. So John connects the water of baptism, the blood of crucifixion, and the Spirit of God all testifying to who Jesus was and who he is. That his life, his death, and the Spirit all tell who Jesus is, and they tell us in agreement. And just one more note, I I love what Charles Spurgeon said about this. He said that a priest was always ordained, set apart by sacrificial blood, by the cleansing of water, and the anointing of oil that spoke of the Holy Spirit's anointing on their life. And so Jesus also had these three witnesses to his priestly ministry. And so you'll notice how many times testimony is brought up by John. It's almost like John is acting like a lawyer, bringing in all this eyewitness testimony to what Jesus did and who Jesus is. John says, we accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Next one. Yeah, there we go. Um, Whoever does not believe God has made God out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. So it was my sophomore year in high school when I started to follow Jesus. I I had been in church. I I, I went through... um, uh, uh, just a, a great time of being involved in youth group and in Sunday school. We went to concerts together, that kind of thing. But it didn't all come together for me until uh, the summer before my sophomore year when I was at camp, when David Olshine was speaking. And there was something in what he said that made me realize that I wanted to trust Jesus with my life, that I wanted to have my confidence set in him. I wanted to be, be saved through him. I wanted to experience his power and his very presence. And sometime after that, our youth pastor took myself, uh, my best friend Eric, and some other students through Operation Timothy, which was a, a, a means that, that you could use to disciple um, other people. And b- through that Bible study, there were six verses that Steve had us memorize. And so we had these little cutout cards. I don't know if you, you ever went through some of these studies before, but you have little memory cards and you can put them in your pocket and you can have them with you and you can go through them. Um, but, but this was one of the first ones that I memorized. And it was the next slide, James. And let's all read this together. And this, if, if, we're, if we're asking God the question, God, what is the testimony? What's the bottom line on what you're saying about Jesus? And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. What do we know from this passage right off the very start? That eternal life is a gift. It's not something that you can earn. God has given us eternal life. I often think that maybe 
John is tying us back to something that he wrote, actually something that he recorded about the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave. God has given us eternal life. It's a gift. It's not earned. And and this eternal life isn't just a, a lifespan that we get. Life is actually Jesus personified. It's not that Jesus has, that he's given us life. He is our life. That when we attach ourselves to Jesus and we become his disciple, we become his apprentice. He, he lives in us and the life that he has lived and is living is now living in us. And so Jesus is our life, our life. And what we also know about this, from this passage is that whoever has the son has life. That if you have, that if you hold, you own, you possess the son now, you have, you own, you possess eternal life now. And John wants his readers to know that you have eternal life. How many of you own a car? A few of you? Okay. Now, I may mention last week that Becca had some issues with Gus, her car. And um, she will, at some point in the next few weeks, become the proud owner of Sharon. And I know she's really excited to have the the family van uh, that's been with us since 2005, um, that she'll take ownership of of Sharon. But that's because Michelle um, has bought a car. It will come in September, and and we have yet to name that car, and we are taking suggestions um, of what we shall name that car. But but the, the thing is, is that when you own a car, you rely on that car. And you take care of that car. You make sure that the oil is changed. You make sure that um, the tires are changed every so often, that the tires are rotated, that, that you take it in every 100,000 miles for a tune-up, that, that you, you take care of it so that it takes care of you. But when you own that car, you, you own it. It's yours. Nobody else is tasked with the responsibility of taking care of that car. You take care of it, you maintain it, you clean it, you rely on it, you drive it, you you rely on it for work, you rely on it for school, you go to the store with it, that kind of thing. You go to vacations. The word has in this passage has the same meaning. That if you have the son, if you own the son and he owns you, if you possess the son and he possesses you, then you own right now eternal life. Eternal life is not something you get when you're promoted to glory. It's something that you have right here, right now. And John says this, and I, I just remember that in that on that little card that Steve had us memorize, the top, the topic of it said assurance of salvation. That 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 right from the very start of your relationship with God, that those who wrote this Bible study study wanted you to know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that when you place your life in Jesus' hands, that you have eternal life, that you are saved, and that no one can take you out of his hands. So the topic of that verse was assurance of salvation. And John says this, and we talked about this right in the very beginning, that John, all throughout his letter, said that there were reasons, and he listed them off of, this is why I'm writing to you. This is why I write to you, dear children. This is why I write to you, loved ones, my beloved. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And God is speaking through John to say this. He wants you to know beyond any shadow of doubt that when you die, you will live. 
you will live forever. Your spirit will continue on with Jesus, and one day your body will be resurrected just as Jesus' body was resurrected. But John isn't just speaking about the quantity of your days. He's also speaking about the quality of your life. So I wanted to ask the two questions this morning. One is, what is eternal life? And the second is, who has eternal life? The first, what is eternal life? See, again, eternal life isn't just about the quantity of our days, but also speaks to the quality of your life. That when John records Jesus' words in John 10.10 when he says that the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. I love what other translations say uh, in regard to this, that Jesus has come that you might have life and have it abundantly, that you might have a rich and satisfying life, that you may have life in all of its fullness. Uh, my neighbor, Sandy, she and I were talking over the fence one day. She was like, Johnny, I, uh, we've, been, we've been growing vegetables, and I, we've been doing really well. We've got a ton of cucumbers. Can you use any cucumbers? I'm like, yeah, we can use some cucumbers. And so, you know, she uh, went straight to the vine, brought me four cucumbers, and because she had it in abundance, she had it to share with me. When you have something in abundance— if you don't, in a sense, give it away or use it, 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 it rots, right? And, and John is saying, Jesus is saying that, listen, I have come to give you life in abundance. I'm giving you a life where you're never going to run out of the resources that you need to live life now and to live life into eternity. And, and John is reminding them that if you have the son, just, this sounds like a silly question. The readers who are reading John's letters, are they alive or dead? They're very much alive, right? So John is writing readers who are alive saying that if you have the Son now, then you have eternal life now, which is why Paul would tell his apprentice, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6.12, take hold of eternal life. Grab, grab a hold of it. Take hold of it. If I, if I gave you a gift, you know, um, Sierra and Dan received a, a, a number of wonderful gifts, but it would do them no good if they didn't unwrap those gifts and use them in their new house. God has given us a gift, and Paul tells Timothy, take hold of that gift. Don't just hold that gift, but use that gift. Utilize that gift. Rely on that gift. This gift is something that God has given in abundance and is, and is for us to use. And Paul is telling his young son of the faith, Timothy, Timothy, I want you to take hold of not just life in abundance, but eternal life now. That, that, that even then, Paul was telling Timothy, listen, there is something about this eternal kind of living that is something for us in the right here and right now. Uh, Jesus said in John 17, and this was his, uh, his prayer uh, that he was praying to the Father just before he was crucified. But in verses 2 and 3, he said, For you have granted him, Jesus, authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life. Jesus is defining, okay, so if we're asking the question, what is eternal life? And you might be thinking, oh, it's, it's living forever. I get to live forever. And and, you know, and, and we can maybe, you know, use our imaginations as, to, our imaginations as to what it means to live life 
forever and what we might be doing and who we might be seeing and that kind of thing. But, but Jesus here, he defines eternal life as this. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, e- eternal life isn't just that we get to live forever. Thankfully, that's a big part of it. But it also means that we get to know God in all of his fullness now. You better believe that we only see a dim reflection of who God is and what he's all about right now. When we're in glory with him, we will see him face to face and it'll be amazing. Um, but we get to know God even now. That's something that we get to do be, be, uh, because of Jesus. And we just went through a series, Experiencing God. Oddly enough, a lot of that Experiencing God series was in the Gospel of John. But eternal life is to experience God, to have this experiential knowledge of him. It's not enough just that you might know some truths, know some verses, that you might be getting to know some things about God through somebody who might be speaking about it or teaching. We, we get to know God on a very personal level. We get to hear from God and have constant communication with God. Eternal life is an interactive relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. And if we miss this, we won't understand what eternal living is all about. And we'll miss the first step in coming into a relationship with God in this constant communication that we can have with him. So who has eternal life? John recorded Jesus' words in John three thirty six that those who believe in him, those who rely and have confidence in him, those who trust in Jesus. I love what Dallas Willard says about eternal living. He said that Jesus offers himself as God's doorway into the life that is truly life. Confidence in him leads us today, as in other times, to become his apprentices in eternal living. Those who come through me will be safe, he said. They will go in and out and find all they need. I have come into their world that they may have life and life to the full. And living this ultimate reality in Jesus means that we get to have an eternal purpose and we get to see things from an eternal perspective. So two more questions for us this morning. Do you have an eternal purpose? And do you have an eternal perspective? I don't know about you, but sometimes I can struggle with both of those. I can sometimes get, I I forget that I have an eternal purpose. And sometimes I forget about an eternal perspective because I get so wrapped up in the problems that I face in the here and now. But Jesus said this in, in recorded in John chapter 4, verses 35 through 36. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Jesus is talking about the reality of, of what his disciples are going to get to do with him. That the purpose that God has for Jesus is a purpose that Jesus is sharing with his disciples. And it would be a purpose that would get shared from generation to generation as more and more disciples make more and more disciple makers. And um, I was reading a story this week about Doug Henry. 
Doug Henry is a, a full-time law enforcement officer in Missouri. Uh, he's been in law enforcement for 23 years where he has seen a very clear picture of the struggles of humanity. And, and, and both, you know, he, he's just seen the brokenness in adults' lives. He's seen the, the brokenness in kids' lives and in teenage lives. And so hear this 23-year veteran uh, police officer knows that he has an eternal purpose, not, not beyond what he's doing as a police officer. He, he really does connect what he is doing in ministry as a youth pastor in this Baptist church in Missouri. What's fascinating about Doug is he is not only, what he's doing in his ministry is not, and th- this is where I, I remember being a, 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 a young youth pastor and I, I knew that I didn't want to have a youth group because I didn't want to have group, youth grouped. <laughs> I didn't just want to group youth together. That wasn't what the purpose was. I didn't want to have a youth group. I didn't want to just bring youth together, teens together. I wanted to have a student ministry where students were in ministry. And this is exactly what Doug is doing. Doug is making sure that he's not just bringing kids together. They sing a few songs. They hear a little talk. They play some games. They have some snacks. He, he had no desire for that. But over the years, what he's been doing is he's been pouring his life into a few students, and he is getting them to pour their lives into a few students. It's disciples of Jesus making disciples of Jesus. And as he's been doing that, now, even as a 23-year veteran of, of a police force, he's, uh, he's, he's talking to Christian leaders about how to do this in their own ministries. There's a ministry called multiplyministry.com. He speaks at youth evangelism conferences. And, and he's, he's just sharing his passion about disciples making disciples. Doug, as a police officer, has an eternal purpose. And it's a purpose that we all get to be involved in. I know too many times we say, oh, we need to do this, we need to do that. We have to do this, we have to do that. Friends, this is something that we get to do. We get to partner to make an impact on people's lives. And I'm so glad that when Matthew was recording what Jesus said, and that Jesus said it in the way that he said it, that in Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28 ends with Jesus gathering his disciples together, and he tells his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, the name, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And he, what, what I feel like in that passage is that if, if this was recorded as Jesus telling his 12 apostles to go and make disciples, I think too many times we would go, oh, yeah, that's an apostle's responsibility. That's a pastor's responsibility. That's a priest's responsibility. Guess what? It's every disciple's responsibility. It's every disciple's get to that they get to impact one life at a time and help them to be disciples of all nations who are discipling people from all nations. We get to have one other person be our apprentice in eternal living. We get to share our lives with people so that they see it in us. It's not just about us getting together and talking about Jesus, but it's about people gathering together with us so that they can see Jesus in our lives. Living eternally means that we get to have an eternal purpose, but it also means that we get to have an eternal perspective. 
Luke recorded this interaction that Jesus had with this, uh, this ruler in, uh, in his time. And this gentleman, uh, because of his notoriety, because of his importance, he was also very, very rich. But he wanted to know what he could do in order to inherit eternal life. And Jesus, you know, he went through some of the commandments and the, and this, uh, rich young man. He said, well, those, those are the things that I've been doing ever since I was young. And then Jesus says, well, there's, there's one thing that you lack. I want you to go sell everything and then give it to the poor. And because he didn't have an eternal perspective on that, the text says that this man was very sad because he had a lot of wealth. His wealth, what he owned, what he possessed, what he had, what he held in his hands, that was his God. He didn't have the son. And because he didn't have the son, because he didn't own the son, because he didn't possess the son, the son didn't have him own him, possess him, he didn't have life. And he wouldn't inherit eternal life in the, in the future when he passed away. He also wasn't inheriting that eternal kind of living in the here and now. He was so tied to what he had in the temporal that he couldn't see life from an eternal perspective. And I think we all struggle with this. I can get spiritual amnesia. I can forget what I'm to be about. I can forget who I am. I can forget whose I am very quickly. And I can get involved in just the variety of details and things in this life that I forget about an eternal perspective. I can face problems and issues in my life and I can forget to have an eternal perspective on those issues. I think sometimes when we face physical struggles, physical sicknesses, those kind of things, we can forget to have an eternal perspective on our lives and on our problems. And Jesus came among us to show us and to teach us the life that we were made to have. Dallas Willard said in his book, Divine Conspiracy, he said, Jesus came very gently, opened access to the governance of God with him, and set afoot a conspiracy of freedom in truth among human beings. Having overcome death, he remains among us. By relying on his word and his presence, we are enabled to reintegrate the little realm that makes up our life into the infinite rule of God. And that is the eternal kind of life. Caught up in his active rule, our deeds, our actions become an element in God's eternal history. Do you realize that when you impact the life of one other person, you know, we, we, we think about the people that have made history. Guess what? If you're impacting someone's life because of your involvement in their life, and it could be someone that you're impacting right here in Indianapolis, or it could be someone that you're impacting in another country, you are making history. This goes down in God's history books. That's why Acts ends so abruptly. You think, wait a minute, where's the rest of the story? Why didn't Luke not continue and, and say something, you know, in conclusion, uh, this is what we saw God do through the Acts of the Apostles. It's because 
There was no conclusion to the book of Acts. We are now continuing the book of Acts. You are continuing the history of God as you impact one other life. And, and uh, Dallas will continue to talk. He says, ultimate reality, to speak grandly, permits itself to be addressed and dealt with through the Son of Man, Jesus. Indeed, by taking the title of Son of Man, he staked his claim to be all that the human being was originally supposed to be. This is why we, what we talk about Jesus is not just bringing life, but Jesus is our life. He is the supreme example of what it means to live the life that God wants for us to live in the here and now. This is why Jesus said that, that when we live our lives in the Spirit, and that when I leave, you, you know, all of his disciples are like, oh no, Jesus, you can't leave. And he's like, well, if, if I don't leave, then the Spirit doesn't come. But, but when I leave, I'm going to bring the Spirit. And that, and that you're going to do even greater things than I am going to do. And they must have been going, what? There's no way we could do that. Yeah, there is. Because you are now living the ultimate reality, the ultimate life that Jesus wants for us. When you place your confidence in Jesus, when you attach yourself to him, as you follow him and you become his apprentice, he shares his life with you and he gives you a purpose. And, and, and his purpose is for us to make disciples and to influence other people's lives. And our hope is uh, that you would live your life knowing not only that you would live eternally, but that you live eternity. That when you rely on Jesus and become his apprentice, he shows you how to live this eternal quality of life now. Uh, Dallas Willard's Divine Conspiracies, his first chapter is, is entering the eternal kind of life now. And Dallas says this, and I'll say this in conclusion. Jesus' enduring relevance is based on his historically proven ability to speak to, to heal, and empower the individual human condition. He matters because of what he brought and what he still brings to ordinary human beings living their ordinary lives and coping daily with their surroundings. He, promise, he promises wholeness for their lives. And in sharing our weaknesses, he gives us strength and imparts through his companionship a life that has the quality of eternity. If he were to come today, as he did then, he could carry out his mission through most any decent and useful occupation. He could be a clerk or accountant in a hardware store, a computer repairman, a banker, an editor, a doctor, a waiter, a teacher, a farmhand, a lab technician, a construction worker. He could run a house cleaning service or repair automobiles. In other words, Dallas says, if he were to come today, he could very well do what you do. He could very well live in your apartment or your house, hold down your job, have your education and life prospects, and live within your family, your surroundings, and your time. And none of this would be the least hindrance to the eternal kind of life that was his by nature and becomes available to us through him. Our human life, it turns out, is not destroyed by God's life, but is fulfilled in it and in it alone. Our desire here as a faith family is not only that you would live eternally, but that you would live 
eternity, that you would live into a, a quality of life that speaks to an eternal quality of life. And, you know, if you need, if you want any more information on this, whether you are um, engaging with us online or in person, please contact us, contact me, so that you can know what it truly means to be an apprentice of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much that that Jesus' purpose in this life was to make apprentices, to make companions, disciples of himself. But that as we involve ourselves in your eternal purposes and perspective, that you didn't leave us to do it on our own. That when we have confidence in you, we place our trust in you, your very presence comes to live inside of us so that the life of Christ is lived through us. And Father, I pray that you would help us not to see this passage as something that we would simply give to new Jesus followers, but that it would be a reality in our lives if we've been following you for 10, 20, 30, 50, 60 years. Whoever has the Son has life. May we today know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have taken hold of Jesus and that we have taken hold of this quality of life that you want for us. May we this week, Lord, be able to live not only eternally, but to live eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.